Good evening and welcome to Slam the Gavel, the show that tells it all regarding family court, other court issues, as well as CPS issues. I'm your host, Marianne Petrie, and I am going to talk to you about a retreat coming in April 22nd to the 24th. It's a parental alienation retreat taking place in the Resolution Center of Jacksonville, Florida. It is a time for support and renewal for parents and grandparents on the journey of parental alienation. It's standing strong in resilience, paving the way for good health and a great future. I will put the link in the podcast notes right now. I have an excellent guest. Her name is Marcia Rick, and her two children began their ordeal with CSD, which is also like CPS, in Portland, Oregon in 1991, during which time her husband abandoned the family and her mother died. Her parental rights were terminated after nearly a three-year battle and successfully completing multiple service plans. Marcia moved and remarried, eventually having to endure a costly fight to keep from having her new son removed at birth due to a history with children's services. She was able to win that case and leave the hospital with her son, who is now 21 years old. Her children were adopted to a couple who received SSI money for them, and they were subjected to abuse and neglect in this placement. The father was charged for the ongoing rape of her daughter and served eight years. While the agency was involved, their parental rights were never terminated. As teens living in extreme poverty, they sought out their mother on Facebook. They found her on Facebook. Today, Marcia's children are faced with an unusual, unsure future due to physical and mental health issues and past trauma caused by CPS, as well as having had previous problems with substance abuse and the criminal system. Neither are able to work, and her daughter will remain in a group home care. Marcia is working on a book and hoping now to hold the system accountable in court in the hopes that her adult children and others will be able to comp- be compensated for the damage done to their lives and future due to CPS and foster care. I totally welcome you, Marcia, Rick, to my podcast. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. So you have been through a lot, and I really am sorry they put you through this. Yes, it's been it's been a journey, and it's still happening. It's a, it's a work in progress. Mm-hmm. Um, my kids are very much in my life. I have two grandchildren now um, um, that are my son's children, and um, it's just an ongoing um, process to rebuild those relationships because they're they're not the people that you race, obviously, and mm-hmm. there are always things that are going to come up. Mm-hmm. You um, know, why do, why, and what are the ways these cases originate? I mean, based on false allegations, lies. I don't know how much you want to talk about your case. How this originated was, um, I had a very small water blister on my son. Um, my husband had given him a bath and, you know, it hurt when I put medicine on it and I was worried, you know, I'm, I was a normal parent. Now what we had in Portland, Oregon going on 
was all kinds of new federal funds had come available through the Mondale Act. And so the hospital that I went to had a newly formed unit called the CARES unit. This unit was designed to vet incoming families for possible inclusion into the CPS system with federal matching funds coming to the doctor in charge and to the hospital when they could successfully intake a case. Mm -hmm. And um, so unfortunately, because they couldn't prove anyone to be at fault, they then changed their narrative after um, all kinds of horrible things going on. They admitted him to a burn unit and, and wrapped up his leg and claimed that the injury was worse than it was. We have reason to believe that they used photographs from a prior case um, to attempt to make the charges work. They just never did. So they downgraded my case, as they often do in a lot of cases, to something called dependency. And what that basically means is the children are dependent on you and they don't think you're a great option. <laughs> mm. Oh, and that's, primarily that's financially. Mm -hmm. Well, the motivation with CPS and foster care, it's all about the money. It is absolutely. And a lot of people aren't aware of how the money works. And we were lucky enough to be fair onto it fairly early. Mm -hmm. See, um, the taxpayer doesn't know how all of this is funded and once the taxpayer sees how all of this is funded they should become very angry because all of this well, is title 4b and e incentives back then they were title 19 funds title 19 funds come directly out of your social security mm -hmm. so this was social security funding being used and 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 then many of these children um that were placed in permanent placements came with a paycheck um because even more federal matching money was involved which didn't make any sense to me at the time um and and many of these kids are receiving social security disability now my son is applying for it and my daughter has been on it for many years Mm -hmm. It seems like whatever the truth is, whatever truth you tell in dealing with CPS, it's not enough for them. And this agency, it's, they're immune. It's not enough. And they, every, for, for every service plan you successfully complete, they will raise the bar and claim something was missed or they will say we still don't i mean i literally had someone go well we still don't like you there's something wrong with you um and and the more persistent you are i think the more resilient you are the more threatening you are to them and the more they're determined um to to be your adversary so you know at that point that would be a word of encouragement to other parents out there that are dealing what I dealt with. If, if you're making them mad, um, if you're ruffling their feathers, if they want to lean in that much harder, you're a threat.
and you're doing a great job. Mm -hmm. Most definitely. I have heard that from other parents. The more knowledge that you have about CPS and the family court system and how they work together, you yes. know, the better off you yeah. are. You are. The, now, the end game may not always be getting your children back. I mean, mine were out of my life for a good 16, 17 years. Um, and then in and out of my life after that for a while, um, because they, I think they needed to find their way as adults to try to make sense out of something that makes no sense. Mm -hmm. We've worked through anger. We've worked through feelings of abandonment, of alienation. It's very hard, even for your adult child, to process that there was just no way your parent could prevent something like this. Mm -hmm. It's it, just... Yeah, no, you made a good point because the parent is helpless, even though you're fighting, and they take these kids into foster care, drug them up, and then when they hit 18, they just throw them out in the streets. Correct. Correct. Um, and a lot of people aren't aware that if they are able to get diagnosed with something like ADHD and go to their foster to adopt home or their adoptive home with a social security check, that money actually gets dialed down at 16 and it, they get less. And so I actually was fortunate enough to be able to have that conversation with their adoptive mother. Um, I, I, she was very ill. I think she knew that she was going to pass and she did pass later that year. But one of those conversations that we had was she felt that she wasn't getting enough money for them anymore to really make sure they went to school or to fight to keep them out of trouble or this, that, and the other, you know, and she actually just flat out said, it's not worth it. So there, there's your mindset for a lot of these adoptive parents that are in it to be in the program or for the money or whatever, because as soon as the money cut off, they went from living in a ranch house to a trailer park. What a shame. And then these kids are very confused, as you said. They don't know which end is up. They're not equipped for daily living skills. Yes, yes, you're absolutely right. And I, I think it also skews their perspective of the world and how people are supposed to take care of them. Um, we had a few bumpy years. I, I brought them right home to live with me, got them shoes, got them clothes. And, you know, they wrecked my husband's car and, you know, things went missing and things like you just you know this was a learning process and i'm hoping that it's a learning pro my learning process can be useful for other parents because we want to let those boundaries down there are babies we want them to come home but it takes a long healing process and like you know the gal that got um kidnapped down in california for years and years i'm trying to remember her name but you know you know she she got taken to a retreat and with her children and 
had got all this counseling to be reunified with her family and things like that. We need those services because we honestly, really, even with great intentions as parents, we don't know where to start. And, and we don't understand the process that the real victims of this are going through, which are our children. And we certainly are victims too, but they didn't, you know, they were so young. It's, it's a trauma that will be with them, but they get a life sentence, basically. I agree. I can't imagine the trauma. And yours were young, you know, very young they children. Were very young. They yes. were under the age of 10. And that is, you know, they're going to score high on that ACEs score. Um, this is not good uh, for any child to go through. No, it's not. Um, they don't, we barely have the tools to deal with a trauma or a loss like that. Um, kids are, are kept absolutely clueless. And there are a lot of studies that have shown that, you know, when you don't have that familial relationship, the boundaries are gone. So when these kids go to an adult that is not related to them, their um, chances of being abused physically, sexually, or neglected go through the roof because they are with someone without that familial um, attachment. And, and there were actually studies on this. And, and so these kids are truly helpless and truly at risk once they leave their, their biological family. And it seems like, I'm, you know, I'm glad they found you on Facebook. I'm sure you were shocked. I was shocked. Um, I, I was genuinely shocked. It was followed by days of phone calls back and forth. Um, the main thing is these kids were just running the street and didn't have anything and, and were looking for a solution. Mm -hmm. And which was great. I flew right out there. Mm -hmm. You know, I wasn't going to not, but at that time, um, you know, my youngest son was at home and he had always kind of been aware of the situation. We had tried to find ways to have this conversation about it, usually starting with sometimes in life, things will happen that don't make any sense at all and that we have no control over. <laughs> right. Followed by don't trust it, the government and don't trust anyone at school. Um, mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> uh, so, you know, the guidance wasn't there to figure out how to integrate all these kids together. There's always a honeymoon phase. Everybody gets along. But, you know, there were also phases that followed where there was jealousy because they felt like Daniel had everything they didn't have. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. and um and and things like that not having grown up in a stable home because of what all had gone on with my daughter and things like this mm -hmm. and that's one of the reasons why you know i would like to see states make resources available to parents we need therapy we we need counseling um 
in a non-threatening manner um, assistance through the reunification process because one of the most grounding things for these kids is having a reliable family situation. And they offer no services at all. I mean, even if uh, a parent is indicated or what the situation is, they, they still don't offer any services. All they do, it appears CPS just comes into your home and sets your living room on fire and then promptly leaves. Correct. And a lot of parents aren't aware of what they need to do from the time they come home from school or the grocery store and see that piece of paper taped to their door. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's so hard because attorneys are quite expensive, legal aid is overloaded, and the court has to appoint you an attorney. And if you know how the money works, you, you've got way less than 21 months to make that happen because they're for that big jackpot, they're, mm -hmm. they're about terminating your rights and permanently placing that child in 21 months. It takes six to eight months sometimes to get a court-appointed attorney. And, and their biggest targets are families that are in financial stress that, you know, they may be working two or three jobs just trying to make ends meet. Mm -hmm. That's very and, true. And one of the first things that they need to understand is when they get that notice on their door that, you know, there's going to be an emergency hearing to remove your children or they're going to be coming to your house you you got to have a witness mm -hmm. and you got to have somebody in every room probably one of the first things they do is they come to your house they want to see if you had food in the cupboards if there's a crack pipe on your on your coffee table or whatever and and i always recommend to people have a witness have a witness in every room mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. do not ever give these people an open opportunity to engage in creative writing. You know, if a parent can't get as many people, you know, in their home, as you said, for every room, which I totally agree, they could record on their cell phone, correct? Absolutely. And, and that will make them madder than a wet hen. I spoke to a mom mm -hmm. recently that had that situation and they will insist and say she doesn't have a right to tape them. You know, and most most states, I, I can't really even think of a state off the top of my head, um, you know, are one party states, as long as one of the parties is aware, you know, so you can also record them just via audio, mm -hmm. you know, have that phone in an indiscreet place. Mm -hmm. Um, it's great that we have that resource. We did not have that in 1991 when I started this whole nightmare. Mm. So we well, should use that. And some states require you to let the other party know that you are videoing them or recording the conversation, which I think is even better, too, that will really tick them off is to hold your phone out, say you're being video recorded, and just so you know. 
that's correct and that's fabulous we have all these resources now available and there are support groups obviously on facebook for parents that are in the throes of this right now um a lot of good advice to be had um i haven't met too many old timers like me who went through it at the outset back in the early 90s late 80s was Oregon and Washington was a hotbed and it was on the news for CPS and CSD to be corrupt. Of course, they've changed their names and their acronyms a million times. Mm -hmm. But nonetheless, you know, people can smell it coming a mile away. Mm -hmm. And it seems that when a parent sues CPS, as you said, they change their acronyms, they change their, you know, one minute it's DCFS, and then it's DHFS. <laughs> you know, they just change things around very quickly. Correct, correct. Um, I just, you know, I, and I don't know how successful very many people are at suing because of immunity. I think right now the direction we're going in if is that if you can find some kind of wrongdoing, I, I think for sure these caseworkers and people involved in the system, once they commit something that's illegal or, you, you know, try to, try to block um, justice, I, I think that at that point, they've pretty much kissed their immunity goodbye. Mm -hmm. Because the, their immunity is only doing whatever their um, job duties are. But once they cross over into something criminal, I, I just think it's all over. And I, I'm hoping that more parents can catch these guys in the act as far mm -hmm. as perjury and things like that. Mm -hmm. You know, well, it, one of, oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. <laughs> One of the things that I'm fortunate to have when I was speaking with my um, kid's adoptive mother um, was that um, she gave me her complete adoption case file, their adoption records, um, everything involving the backstories that they wrote on the kids and things like that. And it all is so contradictory. It's unbelievable. I had actually been able to sit down and, and start at the beginning of my file and read through theirs. And we were just shocked and appalled. There were mm -hmm. just so many contradicting stories. So now what we need to do is start going at these people for actual perjury. These are legal documents. Mm -hmm. and well, I mean, well, sometimes a parent will try to prove the perjury, but yet it's poo-pooed off they just brush it off. Yeah, because you're the accused. So, you know, they're, they're looking at your situation. They're actually looking at you like you're an unreliable witness, but they've got to prove that. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of parents don't have the resources. And by the time we go through this, we are so beat down mm -hmm. and so exhausted. We just can't fight anymore. I mean, this is one of the most traumatic things that I, I mean, children were torn away from parents after getting off the train at that house. I mean, mm -hmm. so I, I mean, it's that level of trauma. Yes, it is. I totally agree with you. And you know, go ahead. 
people don't want to go there, but it is exactly that level. Mm -hmm. Which also breeds PTSD and also complex PTSD. Correct. And it, it just, it just ruins a lot of things. It interferes with the case plan, the defense and the reunification efforts. Correct. Correct. In the years following what I went through, I developed autoimmune issues. My hair fell out. I was, and, and I would strongly recommend to a lot of parents that have been through this or experiencing health and emotional and other issues right now to read books like the body keeps the score by Dr. Bessel van der Kolk, who's, um, who pioneered the study of, uh, PTSD primarily with Vietnam war vets. And then later on, with female victims of abuse. Um, I started really understanding how, how trauma can impact our physical health. And um, although, I mean, cancers and autoimmune illnesses can, can be so triggered by um, PTSD, chronic PTSD and complex PTSD. Um, I basically, had to raise my youngest son. I won that battle, but I had to raise him in a state of, of fear constantly because everything was a trigger. Going to the doctor was a trigger. Visiting with the teacher was a trigger. And I had to just suck it up and get myself through it and maybe melt down later by myself at home. Because, of course, after having been through what we've been through, are we going to hire a therapist and go, hey, I need help. I lost my kids. And now everything that my um, youngest child is doing is triggering me. No, we're a mandated reporter. So we don't have that available to that kind of help available to us, Mm -hmm. especially if we've still got a child. Mm -hmm. And I think even now, my ability to put my trust in someone and it it isn't there it's not Mm -hmm. a safe place for me those people are a threat to me Mm -hmm. and and they would be I think to any parent that's been through this oh I agree you know even just driving past the building makes me cringe (laughs) you know you see a human services building it's like oh (laughs) I haven't tried that yet since I got back to my hometown. I don't think I'm quite ready for that one. Oh, well, I wasn't even in my hometown and I drove past one and I was just sick to my stomach. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. I mean, this is how traumatizing this is. And a a lot of parents, I've heard one in three families will be touched by CPS. And they're chasing after false allegations more so than cases that really need help. They are. They're chasing after an easy paycheck. And, of course, we're going to start in zip codes with, um, with the socioeconomic um, statistics that they feel are the most vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And I, so you know, that's, that's who they're looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's, it's terrible. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, but these these are the families without outside resources to commit to a fight. Mm-hmm. And it also seems that, I mean, I've heard stories that, I mean, people that were middle class, they had uh, a CPS caseworker in their home, causing them a lot of grief, a lot of attorney fees, a lot of perjury going on. And these caseworkers, sometimes they even make it a personal issue. Oh, I've seen it be a personal issue. Um, There was one county in Oregon where two caseworkers were recorded in a restroom discussing removing a child um, to be adopted by the other. Uh, And that did result in, in some loss of federal funding. But back at that time, you know, that's a slap on the wrist. You know, eventually people forget. And and now I'm sure the agency is back functioning in its full capacity and has been for years. Um, It it does get personal. I have known a couple of people in my job where, oh, my wife is going to become a social worker and she's going to work for this agency and things like that. And I said, to myself, I just pray that that they don't get bit by the bug because just something seems either they'll burn out and realize what a horrific thing they've involved themselves in, or they go the complete opposite way and um, and just total beast mode. Let's get all the parents, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's terrible. Um, there's also very often I've seen this competitive nature primarily with female workers Mm -hmm. who have deemed that they are a superior mother figure to you. And, you know, it's, it's, it's like a competition to see who wins. It's not Mm -hmm. about the child's best interests anymore. They want to win. They want to put your nose in the dirt. Right. Right. You know, it's, you know, when a parent goes to sue because, you know, every parent wants recourse after this damage. And, you know, they'll always say, well, you're past your statutes of limitation. But if it's still affecting your life and the lives of your children, there is no statutes of limitation. And in my case, what we are hoping once we can, um, find pictures. They claimed that my son had a third degree burn from this little tiny quarter of a dime sized um, water blister. And apparently my attorney, when we were fighting for my youngest son, he said, I can't even show you this picture. It's so horrific. It's all the way up to the hip, blah, blah, blah. Well, my son laughs about it to this day because if he'd had the burns that were claimed in the case file, he would still have scars today. Mm -hmm. He doesn't have any scars. And, and so, you know, he, he thinks it's quite amusing and quite funny, but to me, it's still quite painful. And, Mm -hmm. um, we're very much hoping that we could find the pictures that we could use because a lot of times also the statute can be started from discovery. Mm-hmm. Hey, I found this. This doesn't line up. I've already had two doctors look at my son and go, he could have never had even a second degree burn. There would have been a mark. Mm-hmm. And what I'm hoping is that um, 
we can find an inroad there. Very often they will tell you that the children themselves have to come in and um, file charges. I actually went and spoke to the U.S. attorney in our federal building when at the very outset of this, and because both of my children had juvenile and petty crime records from running the streets, they said they're not reliable witnesses. And I said, what does that mean? They're the victims. Mm-hmm. Well, that's just our term. They're not reliable witnesses. And so, you know, to bring a case forth for us, for them, I was appalled. I was totally appalled because this is the outcome for most of the children mm-hmm. that age out of the system like this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and unfortunately, that's where they're left. They're not left with many resources. Um, had my um, children's adoptive mother passed away before they found me, they would have literally been on the street, homeless. You know, it's, they don't care, you know, if they have a case, because they're going to call them an unreliable witness. And any child coming out of foster care and thrown on the streets, they're just going to call them an unreliable witness. Correct, correct. Oh, they're derelicts. They're this, they're that. And and they don't realize, you, you know, that they're somebody's child. They're, they're a human being. I, you know, they complain so much about the homeless population here. And I have half a mind to go from tent to tent and say, Hey, were you ever in foster care? Because I I would really like to know what the numbers are on this. Mm -hmm. It's utterly terrifying that they've done this to families, but they got their money then. Um, what I'm hoping though, is if we can find a way to, um, bring charges against some of these people involved is that maybe it would open an inroad for other parents. It'll still be a long road yet, but, um, what I'm hoping is it, it might alert these people that, hey, it could be you, maybe 30 years down the line, your nice retirement could get interrupted from your bad behavior. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because these, these are families that have been traumatized beyond belief. And, and I also think that, you, you know, there should be resources available to the parents. I mean, they talk about, you, you know, social justice all the time. Well, you know, they basically waged war on the poor or whoever they thought were the poor. And I think they throw in a few middle class families just for good measure. Mm -hmm. Or if the child is particularly desirable. But I think the more we have groups like we have on Facebook and websites and parents actually going on YouTube and um, Rumble and talking about their situations and getting this information out to the general public so that they understand that this is truly an industry that it's about money for them. Mm -hmm. Um, They're going to understand that families are being victimized for money. Mm -hmm. Now you, you had sent me some statistics and I'll just read them off. Um, 
more than 23,000 children will age out of the U.S. foster care system every year. After reaching the age of 18, 20% of the children who were in foster care will become instantly homeless. And this is what we're doing to our future. Only one out of every two foster kids who age out of the system will have some form of gainful employment by the age of 24, if, if that really. Exactly. Um, yeah. Um, there is less than 3% chance for children who have aged out of foster care to earn a college degree at any point in their life. Seven out of 10 girls who age out of foster care system will become pregnant before the age of 21. The percentage of children who age out of the foster care system and still suffer from the direct effects of PTSD is 25%. Tens of thousands of children in the foster care system were taken away from their parents after extreme abuse. 8% of the total child population of the United States is represented by reports of abuse that are given to authorities in the United States annually. In 2015, more than 20,000 young people whom states fail to reunite with their families are placed in permanent homes. This is disgusting. It is disgusting. It doesn't even mention the numbers of children in foster care that have basically just disappeared. Mm -hmm. um, which, which is also something that right. needs to be looked at. Right, because it was in Missouri that a um, couple hundred children went missing and no one really bothered to care to look. Correct. Correct. You know, and they, you know, they talk about the COVID pandemic. Well, th this is, this is the uh, total human trafficking pandemic here is very, <laughs> I think, way more important. I, I generally refer to it as trafficking, what they're doing, um, whatever their intentions may be to reassign children to different families because they have the power to do so, whatever. I consider my daughter to have basically been trafficked because of what had happened to her. Um, I, I mean, I, I, I just have no words. Mm -hmm. If there, if I'd have known anything, I hadn't even had a parking ticket back then. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. I, I, I kept thinking over and over as I went through this process, they're going to figure out they made a mistake. They got the wrong family. They, whatever, this is all, you know, and, and they're going to apologize and send them home. And, and, and actually that's just not the way it would happen. But furthermore, I, I probably, um, had I had any idea that it was going to end up the way it did for these kids, mm -hmm. I would have tried to do something. I just had no idea. Mm -hmm. And then the another, another level that pops up is when these kids who get out of foster care and hopefully find a job and get their lives together and they marry and have kids, previous involvement with the system because they're going to find you 
and it, it could end up in removal at birth and very often does. And so fortunately I was, I, I had learned about this and yes, they pulled me up right away and um, we brought our lawyer in. We sat down at a conference table with these folks and they said, yes, it is our intent to remove this child at birth because of mother's previous involvement. And we were horrified. So instead of building a nice house on the lake like we had wanted to, um, we spent money, all that money on a team of attorneys and settled in for what was gonna be a good seven and a half month fight. And that's terrible what they put you through during your pregnancy, the stress you must have been under. I think that it was the primary contributor. My youngest son had severe ADHD, and at the time that he was diagnosed, um, they also noticed anxiety. He was diagnosed at four, and they said, this is probably the worst case of ADHD we've seen at this age ever. And so that was a long-term thing. So, you know, even my youngest son ha had a cost from this. I, and, um, you know, it was, it was a very difficult road for him. I mean, now, you know, he's grown, lives up in Seattle, has a great job. Uh, but we had some long, bumpy years there. Mm -hmm. And for a while, homeschooling. Um, mm -hmm. But every, everybody pays a price. Everybody in the family, nobody is safe from this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's a shame because, I mean, I'm sure he still has, you know, I don't know, panic attacks. I don't know if you're still having those. He does. I have them. Um, he and I have had them at the same time. Um, it's taken many years to put the pieces together and go, you know, it's so fun when your 18-year-old or your 17-year-old says, oh, mom, can you just get your PTSD under control? Yeah. <laughs> and we have to laugh about that because, mm -hmm. you know, his can be fairly brutal and mine can be fairly awful. I have had a better time this year. Um, we are in the process of moving to Oregon because due to COVID, obviously, I haven't seen my grandchildren for about three years. I used to fly back and forth all the time. Mm. but really want to spend that time um, with my son who's having some health issues and my daughter and these kids and try and work hard on these relationships. Um, Cause even as adults and with them growing into being older adults, you, you need to feel like you have that network around you that you're not out there by yourself um, mm. And obviously, as you probably know, and most moms know, you know, our job doesn't end when they're 18. Mm -hmm. It just never ends. <laughs> right, right. I'm, it's just, oh, go ahead. I'm in it for the long haul. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, yeah, no, I am too, because I want to expose this corruption that's happening to families and what people are going through. You know, this is going to affect six generations. Um, Dr. Mark Roseman wrote the book, Preserving Family Ties. And when there's a disruption such as this, it will 
um, ruin six generations coming up. And we've had conversations about this, actually, Mike oldest son and I regarding the grandkids and, and trying to really um, keep our ourselves as a family family unit solid and, and to really focus on that support for um, the youngest kids, my grandchildren, um, so that they feel like they have a solid family base. We may not knock it out in one generation, but we're certainly going to try at least um, these kids and both of their parents and I, we, we all have so much knowledge about the system and what to look for. Y you know, I, I would really pity the fool that decided to target our grandchildren. They'd be up against an army. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, you know, they don't know when to quit. I feel they should just be abolished. They should be. Um, you know, people seem to think that because of all the federal matching funds they get that there's federal oversight you know and and people have been you know pounding that drum for years but there isn't um the money goes around and around and around in circles which very much makes me wonder what else the federal government is gaining from the m removal of children mm -hmm. And right. And as we said before, and when they turn up missing, they just don't bother looking for them. <sighs> that to me is very telling. And I have a lot of questions about that, unfortunately. Um, and also, you know, just involvement with the system in general creates fear. And, mm -hmm. and you know, fear is, is a great inducement for control. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, you can get a parent who's faced with losing their child to jump through just about any hoop lined with fire that you can think of. I mean, mm -hmm. up to and including taking medications the parent does not want to take, um, going to a therapist and um, talking to them. You know, that's another thing that I would really caution parents about. You know, they a lot of parents are told to go to a counselor as part of their service plan. That counselor isn't there to let you um, talk it out and and get help uh, for a therapeutic reason. They're on a fact finding mission and they are a mandated reporter. And all they're going to do is collect your innermost, deepest thoughts to add to the kitty for their um, for their creative writing mm -hmm. in building their case. So whenever possible, you know, I would really try to caution parents to steer clear of these folks or not cooperate with them because mm -hmm. they're just there to collect information as much as we really want somebody to talk about when we're going through the most horrific crisis in our life. Oh, exactly. Exactly. And they can be very compelling. Oh, you can trust me. I'm a mm -hmm. professional. Right, right. You know, and the thing that I regret is letting them in. Just don't let them in. Absolutely. Don't let them in, if at all possible. A lot of people don't know their rights. We're so, so, so fortunate to have parents sharing their circumstances and situations and 
and all the things that they've encountered now on social media up to and including i think people have posted social worker visits on their social media page mm -hmm. which i think is just absolutely fabulous mm -hmm. um we just got to keep keeping these people accountable and not give them any inroads right to our is there any other advice you can um, tell parents the only advice that i would give them at this point other than what i've said you know ha have a ton of witnesses have them everywhere have that camera you know we all want to be reunified with our kids but it's not going to be disneyland when and if that happens there is going to be a lot of work that's going to need to be done even now at this late stage you know and i've had these discussions with both my kids anger pops up mm -hmm. things you know we need to be prepared for for those tough feelings and we're going to have the meat of the work so you know just make sure that you're prepared for that um and the thing that kept me going the entire time I was separated from my kids was I constant, we get depressed, we get discouraged, we go, why do we even go on mm -hmm. with this? But the number one thing I can say is have, have someone, a higher power in your life, because you are going to need that. And, and for me, obviously, it was God. And um, you're you're going to need to lean on that sometimes and i just basically would tell myself every day how do i want my children to find me 20 years from now as a mess um in the corner drooling whatever and make everything that they said sound right mm -hmm. or do they need to see a strong person that kept trying mm -hmm. and that's what i did i finished school, went to grad school, um, worked on a career. I mean, I just pushed myself. And that was also therapeutic for me as I was raising my youngest child too, to keep coming back and revisiting those goals. And remember, there's a reason why I'm still here. Mm -hmm. And I think that parents need to do that too. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's a whole self things will happen to you. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a shame and a parent has to practice self-care and i i know you ride horses absolutely yeah i'm sure that's a big part of the self-care because you know i'm sure you have intrusive thoughts that pop into your head you're never um how do i say you're you're just never free from this from the past you are free from that and the, I, I think that's the thing about um, riding, and I, I do dressage, which, you know, requires a lot of focus. Um, mm -hmm. It requires you to be in the moment. So as soon as those thoughts come into your head, you've got to kick them out and, and they, they don't have any manners. They'll come into your head at any possible time they can. And I, I think also um, animals in general are just therapeutic. You can trust them because mm -hmm. obviously our trust in people has generally been pretty much destroyed by the time we've been through something like this oh exactly yeah i definitely would put my trust in a 1200 pound animal than i would 
a human being. I know, right? Right? <laughs> I, <laughs> I totally agree with you. You know, the thing, the lovely thing about horses is that they want to please and give back and they never use expletives on you and threaten you with court, <laughs> you know, no, and it's, it's, <laughs> it's this, and, and parents need an outlet, you know, especially when, when you get an intrusive thought, if you don't have pets or horses or something in your life, hopefully, you know, a hobby because, you know, like when I get an intrusive thought, I'll start thinking of some new artwork project I should be focusing on. Something. That's fabulous. That's fabulous. Because I think it's really important to remember that these thoughts are going to come in very often. Um, I, I, one of the tactics that the system will use to get to you, especially these other caseworkers and stuff, is to make you feel less than and inferior. And it's very easy to internalize these thoughts. Mm -hmm. And uh, you've just got to double down. You've got to double down. Find it from somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, wrap yourself up with a support system. Luckily, now there are a lot of Facebook groups where um, parents that are involved in the system are there supporting one another. Mm -hmm. Most definitely. Uh, just anything you can. Um, but just don't give up. You know, it's, it, it can take years. Don't give up. Hold space for your kids mm -hmm. and, and just do whatever you need to do. One of the things that I did was on every birthday, I kept a box and put a card or a little gift in it. Mm-hmm. And I have those boxes to this day. I've gone through them with the kids. They want me mm -hmm. to hold on to them for them. But yeah, any of those little things and don't, it's real easy. It was hard because you'll run into somebody at the grocery store. Oh yeah, I'm a mom. And then they'll be like, how many kids do you have? And you're like, uh, uh, uh. you know, you yeah. are still a mom. I don't care if your kids are 1300 miles away, you are still a mom and you're not going to lose that identity mm -hmm. um so i i would really tell parents there's nothing wrong with you y you will always identify as a parent mm -hmm. that never goes away so don't shame yourself or allow someone else to shame you you know i don't know what you think about this but <laughs> Someone asked me how many kids I had, and then I, I told them, and then they said, well, how are they doing? And I said, well, you know, I really don't know. They were legally kidnapped by uh, false allegations and indications, so I really don't know what, what, what to say. You know, I just said something to that effect, and they just stared at me, and then they kind of slithered off. But yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> It's it's really weird, but I think I think shame is a big part of this because there are a lot of people who still feel like, you know, oh, you must have done something horrific to take away mm -hmm. your children. But I think that by now almost everybody in this country knows someone who has encountered this kind of intervention mm -hmm. to one degree or the other. And that 
there's just there there's no getting away from it but people do there are still these people out there who think oh my gosh you don't look like an axe murderer and they took your kids away you must have done something horrible mm -hmm. so i mean i think it's best to come up with a good comeback and when they say oh you know what how, where are they now or you know something to if they're asking you what happened come up with well you know they were legally kidnapped using false allegations and accusations so the judge took the kids away believing cps uh, you can't get any closer to the truth than that mm -hmm. and you know and i'm as you said you know don't be ashamed of what happened i think you should speak on it and inform the public even though i told those people that and they slithered off you know you just planted a seed absolutely um i totally agree with that i i, I think um depending on on where you're at in the process and stuff there was a time where i would be able to say something like that and there have been times where you know obviously you just it's too painful mm -hmm. and um you know so you do what you can when you can but very much try to fight back there is always an element of shame when your children have been taken but we want to fight back against that because that is one of the things they'll use to keep you down and keep you quiet exactly and time is coming when we should not be quiet mm -hmm. especially for you know the the thousands of foster children that have disappeared mm -hmm. yes we have to keep speaking out and you know i'd like to have you come back on the podcast again if you would like I would love to. Okay. How can people reach you if they have any questions? I don't know if you want people to call to come and contact you or um I do not have a website up right now. Um I am available. Um I can be emailed at um B I T Y A W at Yahoo.com. And that is my publishing email address and the email address that I can generally respond to correspondence on CPS issues. Great. That's great. Okay. Well, uh, don't jump off. Slam the Gals a podcast to help the public understand what really goes on in these family courtrooms. I'm your host, Marianne Petrie, author of Dismantling Family Court Corruption, Why Taking the Kids Was Not Enough, and Cry Out for Justice, Poems of Truth. Please join us again here with Marcia, another exciting guest. Thank you again, Marcia. I appreciate you coming on. It was great being here. Thank you so much. Thank you.